0: In your Bible this morning, the book of John, chapter number 5, if you will please. In John chapter 5, a wonderful account of Jesus Christ and his power over disease. In fact, the message today is called Jesus is the answer to disease. As soon as you find it, stand with me, if you will please, as we honor God's Word. John chapter number 5 in your Bible today, please. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water, Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he'd been there now a long time in that case, he said to him, Will you be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled, to put me into the pool... But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. And he answered them, He that made me whole, the same said to me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed him away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said to him, Behold, thou art made whole. Note that. Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. And so the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him whole. Now, keep your hand there because we'll refer to that a lot. But go to the last chapter of John chapter number 21, John chapter 21 and verse number 25. John 21, 25, the very last verse of the book. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. In other words, Jesus did hundreds of things, thousands of things because it says the world itself couldn't contain the books. Obviously, he's speaking in hyperbole, but Jesus did so many wonderful things that it couldn't even be humanly recorded. There were so many wonderful things about our Lord. So what you read in the Bible is not the only thing that Jesus did. It's the things that the Lord chose to reveal to us that Jesus did. Having said that, you may be seated. And the subject is, Jesus is the answer to disease, Jesus, as I just said, performed thousands of miracles, thousands of miracles. I think Jesus was performing supernatural events probably every single day of his ministry and of his life. In Mark chapter 6 and verse number 55, I read this. You don't need to turn there. But it talks about the people ran through that whole region roundabout And began to carry about in beds those that were sick, where they heard that Jesus would be. And wherever he entered into a village or a city or a country, they laid the sick people in the streets. And they besought him that they might touch him, if it were but the border of his garment. And so they would bring, the whole villages would bring all the sick and infirm people, put them in the streets, when they knew that Jesus was going to be there and hoped that he would walk down the street and maybe they could just touch his garment. And in so doing, his power would flow to him and they would be made whole, that they would be healed. In John chapter 20, we've read that a couple of times before. But John said, these are written that you may believe. These referring to seven miracles in the book of John. Now, I've been preaching this series. This is the third message here's what he meant. John, out of all those tens of thousands of miracles that the Lord no doubt did in his lifetime, John selected only seven, seven miracles. And John said, I'm not going to deal with everything that Jesus did. I'm going to pick out seven of these miracles. And I'm going to put them in my word so that it will demonstrate that Jesus is the Son of God, The purpose of the miracles were to demonstrate the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that. Yes, he wanted to help people. Yes, he had compassion on people. But that was not the greatest reason that Jesus did miracles. He was demonstrating for all time and all of eternity that he was, in fact, the Son of God and that only God could have the power to do what he did. So two weeks ago in John chapter 2, we talked about him turning the water into wine. That's supernatural. That is That overcomes the laws of thermodynamics. He changed the literal molecules of 120 gallons of water, plain water, he changed it into wine. In John chapter 4, There's a nobleman, a member of the royal family that was related to Herod the king. This man had a son who was dying, a little boy. No doubt his heart was breaking. It was his only son. And he came and approached Jesus 20 miles away from where he lived. And he said, my son is dying. Would you come with me and just speak a word? I know that you could heal my son. And Jesus said to him, basically, I don't need to go. He said, your son is okay. And the man checked the next day, and his son was healed instantly the moment that Jesus had spoken that. Jesus showed his power over discouragement and disappointment in John 2. He showed his power over doubt. That nobleman was half believing, half doubting. Now, today, Jesus shows himself the master of disease. Let's look at the setting in John chapter 5. I always like to spend a good bit of time on the setting so you'll really understand the circumstances of what the this, this Scripture deals with. It was during the feast, it says, probably the Feast of Pentecost, and every Jewish male in the country was required to attend the feast up in Jerusalem at the temple, And Jesus there in Jerusalem came by the sheep market. It's also called the Pool of Siloam. It was a five-sided pool. It was fed by two springs of mineral water that came up. It gave it color. It would be like out in Arkansas, they have hot springs, mineral water springs. And people go there believing that they're going to receive help if they soak in that particular mineral-rich water. And you have it in White Sulfur Springs, West Virginia. And you have it many places around the country. People believe there's a healing quality in that in those springs of hot water. And so, this two springs fed this five-sided pool. Around it, there was a colonnade that provided shade for people. And if you will look in verse number three, a great multitude of people. So, there were hundreds and hundreds of people perhaps packed around this pool trying to get the benefit of that mineral water. And it says, it describes those people. They were impotent, and they were blind, and they were a halt, which means they couldn't walk. And they were withered, and we would call that paralysis of some kind. They, could, they were paralyzed. And they were waiting for an angel to come, which apparently happened periodically. And when it happened, why, some of the people were healed. And in verse 3, I want you to notice again, but this is the condition of this one man now that we're focusing on. The whole multitude represented those diseases. This one man, I want you to notice his condition here. Because when Jesus walked up to that man at the pool that day, Jesus was encountering one of the greatest problems of human experience. That's the problem of disease. Still with us today, isn't it? We've made a lot of progress. But you can go over to McLeod Hospital and it covers acres now, and it's always almost full of people that are dealing with disease. And you can go over to Carolina's hospital and you can go to every town, and there's the hospitals and the clinics the doctor's offices, one of the major, major things that we deal with is disease in life. And we know that all of us at some point are going to suffer that. There's a relationship between disease and sin. Now, listen to me carefully. I'm not saying if you go and sin, you're going to automatically be smitten with some disease. Although some sins do produce disease. We know what brings on AIDS for the most part. We know what brings on cirrhosis of the liver for the most part. We know that there's sin that is directly affecting people uh, in many cases. and brings disease to them. Uh, but whether it's direct or not doesn't really matter because the root problem of all disease is sin. We know that. And so Jesus now comes and he encounters this. Disease and death were never a part of God's original plan. I want you to know that. Mark that in your mind. God, when he created mankind, he had no idea, he had no plan that they would all be diseased and that they would die and all that. He created created us for eternal life. He created us to live disease-free. In Genesis chapter 3, though, there's the fall we call it the fall. That's a theological term. What we mean is, is that man rebelled against his maker. And from that day, we have inherited the results of that action. From that day, we are a broken people. We are not only a broken people, we live in a broken world. Romans says that the whole universe groaneth in pain until the day of redemption, meaning that sin has affected the natural universe. And it's true that all the bad things that you and I think about ultimately, directly or indirectly, can be traced back to sin. And we see here the consequences of sin played out in physical diseases here. And so there is a relationship between sin and disease. Look down in verse number 14. In fact, after Jesus healed this man, he he specifies that relationship. He says, sin no more lest a worst thing come to thee. He connects in a relationship sin and disease. And so God's original plan that would not have occurred, but it but it did. Adam fell. Now the Bible uses physical diseases to illustrate to us our spiritual condition. Do you want to know what a person is like? who is diseased by sin spiritually? Well, look there in verse number three, and you will see the misery that sin has brought to this world. People are impotent, meaning they have no power. And they are blind. They cannot see the truth spiritually. And they are halt. They can't walk the Christian life in their own power. And they are withered or they're paralyzed. They're not even mobile on their own, spiritually speaking. So the misery of sin is revealed to us here in verse number three. Now, this particular man had been paralyzed. He had been handicapped for 38 long years. It doesn't say that he had been at the pool for 38 years. It says that he had been handicapped for 38 years. He had been and we would probably say he was paralyzed in, in, in modern terminology. And that man pictures a person who is outside of Christ, a sinner. He had no help from anybody. Nobody cared for him. He had no friends. He had no family. Nobody had ever bothered to try to help him get into those waters in hopes of his healing. And that's exactly the condition of a person who is here even this morning and you don't have Christ in your life. In the book of Romans, chapter 5 and verse 6, it says this. Listen to this verse carefully. You don't need to turn there. Just listen to it. When we were without strength in due time, Christ died for us. When we were without strength. Ladies and gentlemen, that's your condition if you don't know Christ today. You are without strength. You cannot help yourself. You know, the biggest difficulty I have today in trying to bring people of the Lord Jesus Christ, in trying to seek the salvation of men and women, do you know my single greatest difficulty? It's that they don't see their need. They think they do have strength. They think they can do something on their own, to bring about their salvation. And so I say to the sinner, You're impotent. He said, Oh, I'm not impotent. Man, I go to the gym and I lift weights every day. Well, you're talking about physical strength. That's not what I'm talking about. I say, The Bible says you're blind. Oh, I'm not blind, Pastor. There's nothing wrong with my intellect. I can understand. I have a master's degree. Don't you know that? I'm not talking about intellectual strength. Well, I say to them, "You're halt. You can't walk the walk in your own power. You can't live for Christ on your own." Oh, Pastor, I'm doing well in life, man. I'm doing fine. I'm making money, have a nice home. I'm, I'm doing it. We're doing okay, Pastor. You're talking about secular success. I'm talking about spiritual strength. The Bible says you're withered. You're paralyzed spiritually. You. You, you, can't, you can't make it on your own. Well, pastor, I'm doing my best to live right. No, I'm not talking about you trying to live right. I'm saying that you are absolutely helpless, blind, halt. You're unable to do anything to bring about your own salvation. This man's condition was a picture of every lost man and woman today in the universe. It was the night of February the 22nd, 1901. see, that might have been the year I was born. I'm not sure. And the steamship, the SS Rio de Janeiro, had been to, the, to Asia. And it had 220 mostly Chinese passengers on board who were immigrating to the United States. It sailed into the Golden Gate Harbor, just about where the Golden Gate Bridge is today with 220 passengers, but it was in a deep fog. They didn't have modern navigational equipment, of course. It hit a rock formation in the harbor, tore the entire bottom out of the ship from a number of feet. The water was pouring in. 135 people died, most of them asleep in their bunks down in the lower deck. And as the fog lifted in a couple of hours, this happened about five o'clock in the morning, when the fog lifted, the fishermen from the Bay Area went out and began to try to rescue people, and there were still people able to swim and hold on to pieces of the wood and so on. And they found a man, Dr. Ironside, in his commentary tells about being there as a little boy and actually seeing this man. And this man had had both legs completely broken and uh, just couldn't use them at all in in the in the crash when the ship hit the rocks. And yet he was an able swimmer, and so he had been able with just his hands to keep himself afloat for over two hours. But he couldn't do he couldn't do anything. He couldn't he couldn't make any progress through the water to help save himself. And so he just laying there in the water, same place he had been hurt just floating and the people in the boat reached down of course they did everything and took him up into the fisherman's boat and rescued his life and dr ironside told that story in his book as a picture of our condition before we were saved see the thing is almost every person until they understand the bible they believe that well maybe they need the lord but they they need the lord but they'll help him out no you can't help him out there's not one single thing mark it down read my lips hear me if you don't hear anything else you can't be saved on your own you can't be saved without the grace of god without jesus christ rescuing you like they rescued that man that evening the man's condition He was absolutely helpless to save himself. Well, let's read verse 6. Let's see what happens to this man. In verse number 6, when Jesus saw him, stop. Out of all that multitude, the Lord Jesus Christ saw him. There was compassion in the heart of our Lord, and he saw this man, this pitiful condition, this helplessness that he had. And out of all those people, for whatever reason that day, In order to make his point, the Lord Jesus Christ saw this man. He fixed on him, focused on him. And he said, that's where I'm going to focus my grace today. The man didn't didn't deserve anything, did he? The Lord didn't owe him anything. The Lord wouldn't have been wrong had he passed him by. But the Lord chose to focus on him and shower his grace upon him. And look what Jesus said to him. Isn't it a strange question in verse number 6? Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? It almost seems funny, doesn't it? I mean, he have been laying here for 38 years. He's helpless, and the Lord asked him, do you want to be made whole? Do you really want some help? Do you see that you're a problem here? Over in another account in the book of Luke, there's a blind man, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, Lord, will you give me my sight? And Jesus says the same thing to him. Do you really want to see? Do you? It almost seems ludicrous, doesn't it? But what Jesus is trying to do is make a point here that this man is going to have to act himself now. That Jesus Christ is going to enable him, and this man is going to have to make a decision of his will. He's going to have to exercise his volition, we would say, his power to choose. And so the Lord Jesus Christ asked him the question, do you really want to be healed today? Well, obviously the man said yes. Now, to bring that into contemporary terms here today, there's a huge debate in Christianity today in evangelical Christianity Probably the number one issue, the conflict of evangelical Christianity across the country is on one side you have a group of people who teach and preach and believe that God is so sovereign that uh, we get saved, and uh, he, che- he, p- he picks the ones who get saved, and they have nothing to do with it. It's just like He comes along and He plucks them, and they're elected to salvation, and everyone else perishes. If you got in, if you you were blessed of the Lord to be in that lottery, so to speak, then you get to go to heaven. But if you were passed over, and that's a term that's used by these same people, you were passed over for salvation, then everybody else perishes. You have absolutely nothing to do with your salvation. Now, you don't in terms of earning it. And so, This group of people believe, and they believe it sincerely, and there's a few scriptures. If you read only those scriptures, you will end up with this opinion. They believe that God sovereignly decided before the world began who would be saved, and everybody else is passed over and left out. Well, I believe that God is sovereign. Believe me, I believe he runs everything in this universe. I believe if a fly lights on my nose, you know, God knows about that. I don't know that he causes it, but he permitted it, didn't he? He is in charge of everything. There's not one molecule in this universe that's beyond the control of Almighty God today. On the other hand, in his sovereignty, he gave us the power to make choices. You made one this morning. You came to church. I don't think God made you come to church, though sometimes some of us look like it. But I believe you freely chose today to get at dress for church and come on out here to church this morning. I don't think everything is re- is is totally controlled by God. He gave us choice. You chose the one you would marry. You choose whether you ate drank orange juice or coffee out there on the parking lot this morning. You're making choices all day long and every day and God God is still sovereign. That doesn't keep him from being in charge, but he kind of drew a little circle, and he said, okay, I'm going to put man in that circle, and I'm going to give him a lot of freedom to make choices. So God gives us freedom, and on that day, God gave that man freedom. And Jesus said, do you really want to be made whole? Will you be made whole? And the man now has to make a choice. I'm talking to people in this auditorium, and I'm talking to people watching on television, and you have to make a choice. You say, I don't have to choose. I'll listen to you, and I'll go think about it. I'll do whatever I want. You just made the choice. You just chose to put it off and gamble, play a little Russian roulette with your soul, my friend. You will make a choice today, yes or no the Lord Jesus Christ. You will choose. We all do. God is sovereign. Absolutely, we believe that. But He also sovereignly gave people the power, the greatest power that humans have, the power that animals don't have and trees don't have and the sun doesn't have. Only humans have the power to make choices. Wilt thou be made whole. I believe in that power to choose. Listen to this. A hundred times, maybe in the New Testament, whosoever will may come. If those, whosoever will, the will is the part of us, the volition, it makes choices. It decides. What does that mean if it doesn't mean I can will to come to Christ. Tell me what that could mean. Otherwise, if it doesn't mean, I can choose today my Savior. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. A choice. You can come or you cannot come. You make the choice is what Jesus said that day. Second Peter 3.9, he is not willing that any should perish. Any should perish, that all should come to repentance. And I haven't asked you to turn your Bible a lot today, but I don't want you to forget where the books are, so turn, First Timothy chapter 2. Will you turn there with me in the Scripture? And I want to show you a verse that I, I, I seriously studied this whole thing of the sovereignty of God, and uh, the election and all that kind of unconditional election and all that. Here was my, here's the verse that sealed the deal for me. This sealed the deal for me. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, the Apostle Paul says that the God, our Savior, previous verse, will have all men, A-double-L, all men to be saved. And come into the knowledge of the truth. Who is all? <laughs> all is e- all is all, isn't it? All is everyone. And then if that isn't enough, he comes back, nails it again in verse 6. Who gave himself a ransom for who? That same all. And when I discovered those verses, I said, you know what? That all includes Bill Monroe. And today, ladies and gentlemen, that all includes you, doesn't it? Amen? If that all includes you, give me an amen on that. Absolutely. All. It is not His will that any perish, but that all come to repentance. I love those alls there that are sprinkled through those various texts. And so you have a choice. Now in just a very few minutes now I'm going to extend an invitation. I'm going to have what we call an altar call. Which means that you come out of the congregation because you're not ashamed of Jesus. If you're afraid to come, you probably, you could get saved theoretically in a seat, but you probably won't because it means you're more concerned about the opinion of what somebody might think than you are about pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm not saying it's impossible to be saved in a seat. I know people who never came forward, but most people have responded Because the Lord said, I don't want you to be ashamed. If you're ashamed of me, in fact, he said, I'll be ashamed of you. So when I give the invitation, I want you to come. I want you to exercise that choice, that power of your will today. If you don't know Christ, I want you to step out and I want you to come. So we have the man's condition in verse 3. We have the man's choice in verse 6. And in verse 8, we have the man's cure. Jesus said, rise up. Take, rise, take up your bed and walk. And the Bible says, immediately, instantaneously, this is not a long process. A man can decide, a woman can decide for Jesus right now. Immediately he was made whole, the Bible says. And here's the process. Here was what happening in it. Here's what is, was happening in his mind. Number one, he heard the word of Jesus Christ. What was the word of Jesus Christ here? Rise, take up your bed, walk. That's God's word. We have a whole book full of God's words here. Every week I stand here and I give an expositional message. My style of preaching is to explain the Bible in detail so people can understand it because until they understand the word, they can't act on the word. And so the word of God is central in this church. And it always will be. It ought to be everywhere, in my opinion. It is the Word of God that has the power. The man wasn't saved by anything else. The man was saved by believing the Word of Jesus Christ here. Do you want to be healed? Yes, sir, I do. Well, then rise, take up your bed, and walk. And based on that sentence, those few words, the man believed the Word he took up his bed probably a cot or a blanket, a very crude lightweight thing. He wasn't carrying a you know a sleep number mattress. And he picked it up. This man had been there for 38 years and he walked. He walked under his own power. I want you to know it says immediately he was healed immediately, instantaneously we would say. And this was a miracle. Let me remind you again what a miracle is. A miracle is where God intervenes in some human event or life. God temporarily suspends the laws of nature. The laws of nature would would keep that man there the rest of his life. There was no hope for him. A miracle is bypasses that because God has the power to overrule His own own laws of nature, doesn't He? The laws of nature are the laws of God. And so God is saying, or Jesus is saying here, I have power to suspend all that temporarily and touch your body and heal you, sir. And He was instantly healed. Muscles that had atrophied and tendons that had grown stiff and unused, And bones that had gotten so stiff they wouldn't even move in the joints probably, they began to move under the power of the Word of Jesus Christ. And the man did something he had not done in 38 years. He walked away from that pool that day. Notice Jesus didn't even touch him. He healed him with a word there wasn't any medicine, there wasn't any therapy, he spoke. And that man's legs gained power, and that man walked. And it was a miracle so that we could read it today and believe that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. I want you to notice something else here. The moment this man believed, God enabled him. I'm anticipating what people are thinking as they listen here and wherever. You see, here's the thing. How many times have I sat with my Bible, shared the gospel with somebody, or preached to a crowd of people, and then afterwards somebody would say something like this to me? Preacher, I believe what you said, but I just don't think I can live it. Well, this verse Kills that theory, doesn't it? Jesus said, if I heal you, you can walk. You don't have to go to walking classes and take therapy. You won't need a physical therapist. You'll be healed. You'll be healed immediately, and you just walk away. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Jesus used the word. Don't you worry about living the Christian life. You get it. People always, oh, preacher, if I could live it, I just don't want to be a hypocrite. Listen, God's commands are his enablings. God's commands are his enablings. Whatever God commands you to do, he'll give you power to live it. He'll give you the power to do it. I want you to turn right now. We're running a little long today, but you just got to see this because you're so familiar with Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Turn over there with me. It's one of our classic verses on salvation. I don't want anybody to leave here, so give me just a couple minutes. I want you to look at three prepositions, three prepositions, types of um, points of grammar. Ephesians chapter 2, and I want you to take your pen or pencil and mark these, if you will. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, for by grace are you saved, Circle the word by, by grace. Grace is God offering salvation as a gift to everybody, free of charge, unmerited, unearned. Christ offered this man a healing, free, undeserved, and unearned. Grace, Christ showered this man with grace. So circle the word by grace. Then circle the word through, through faith. That's man's part. God will do the saving. Man's part is to believe, to put his faith in Christ. Hear the Word, believe the Word, act on the Word, and then leave the rest up to the Lord, rest in Him. But it doesn't stop there. You see, we so often stop. We say, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, and we stop. I want you to go on. I want you to mark one more thing and that is unto. We are His workmanship. We're the work of His hands, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before He saved you ordained or planned. It's God's plan that we should walk in them. Now, you see, he says, if you accept my grace and you believe in Christ and you're saved, then you're saved for a purpose. What's the purpose of your salvation? Listen to me, everybody. Please hear me today. Don't miss this. What is the purpose of you being saved by the blood of Christ? It is unto good works. You can't divorce it from works, as many, many people often try to do. Now, listen to me. Nobody is saved by works but we're all saved unto works. The purpose of God saving me is for me to live a different life than the rest of the world lives. Heard a man coming to church this morning say this on the radio. It was so good. He said, as a Christian, I'm out of step with the culture because I'm listening to a different drummer. I'm not marching with the sound of the world. I'm living a life under the Lord. I'm marching to the sound of a different drum. And ladies and gentlemen, hear me today. God didn't save you so you can come to church. He saved you so you can live a life that will make a difference in the community, in the family, at the workplace, wherever you may be in your life. And you can't live that Christian life. You don't Quit trying to live the Christian life. You can't live the Christian life until you have Christ in you, and then you'll have the power to live that Christian life. I'm not saved by good works. But I am saved by faith that works. In salvation is not true that God helps those who help themselves. He doesn't. He helps those who are helpless and can't help themselves. And he enables and empowers them then to go on and live for him. I want you to notice one other thing real quickly. After Jesus healed this man, he just melted into the crowd. In verse 13 it says Jesus had disappeared. He just disappeared. He's no longer on the scene. Now, are you awake? How many of you are still awake? Say, amen, I'm awake. Okay, you're awake. I want you to hear this. I preached this whole message to get to say one sentence. You ready for it? The first thing the healed man did after he was healed, he went to church. Said he went to the temple, didn't it? First thing people do when they get saved, they want to go to church. If you have to make your church, make yourself go to church, oh, you may have a deeper problem. You may need to go back and meet Jesus again. First thing he did upon getting saved, he went to the temple. And you know what happened? He had lost Jesus Christ for a few minutes, but he reconnected with Jesus in the temple. Mm, Bill, that's good. They should pay you extra for that today, I'll tell you. He reconnected with Jesus when he went to church, didn't he? Praise God. That's right there in the text. And Jesus said one other thing to him. Now you're whole. You're whole. Sin no more lest the worst thing come to you. The grace of God, sir, does not give you liberty, to live any way you want to live. Don't take liberties with the grace of God that he's given to you. He saved you. He's healed you. Now go and live for him. The cure for that man's paralysis is the cure for my soul. The same cure for that man's paralysis is the cure for our souls here. Do you know Jesus today? Jesus is the master. Jesus is the answer to disappointment. Jesus is the answer to doubt. And today, the third miracle of John, Jesus is the answer to disease. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.